Hello, hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream show. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Happy Saturday, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Uh, before we get started, next Saturday, we're bringing back on an audience favorite with another Ask the Lit Rep Q&A with manager-producer John Zauzerny of Bellevue Productions. That's next Saturday, June 5th at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. So if you've got questions about representation or the industry in general, just want to say hi to John. Uh, I know he's got a lot of friends uh, in the industry and a lot of you uh, follow him on Twitter, so be sure to stop by. Um, but today we've gone on a TV writer who graduated from the Ohio State University, hopefully I did that right, uh, as an undergrad and graduate school at the University of Cincinnati. She spent several years teaching Spanish before pursuing a career as a TV writer, working as a PA, a writer's PA, and writer's assistant on shows like Grimm. Freeform Siren and Ginny and Georgia on Netflix. Uh, she got her break as a staff writer on Disney Plus's Turner and Hooch and is currently the story editor on uh, the 4400 on the CW. Welcome to the show, Jackie Disembly. How are you, Jackie? I'm good. How are you? Thanks, for, thanks so much for having me. No, thank you for coming on. It's great to have you. I'm glad you're here. Um, before we get started, you are Jackie Disembly. You're a Jackie Pen. You're Jackie Disembly Pen. So, uh, yeah, let, let, let us know which is the proper... Uh, name to call you by what's your moniker well i am you know in the guild in the wga i am jackie disassembly um a lot of people know me as jackie penn but when i became um staffed on my first show i decided to use my maiden name so hopefully going forward that's the name i'll be using jackie disassembly so yes <laughs> great um so jackie disassembly welcome to the uh live stream the podcast um if anyone in the chat has questions for Jackie, please drop them in the chat whenever you have them, uh, and we'll get them answered in just a few minutes. But before that, I did want to talk to you a little, little bit about your background, because you do have an interesting background. Um, uh, a lot of aspiring writers do begin their journey right after school, or even some of them while they're in school. They're planning on writing for television, planning on writing a feature, planning on working in the industry somewhere. But then there are many also who transition from a different career, which was sort of your case as well. So I wanted to, maybe first, let's just talk a little bit about your background. I know you worked as a teacher, uh, um, a Spanish teacher, before pursuing film and TV. How did you, well, first off, where did you, you studied in, in Ohio at the Ohio State University and University of Cincinnati. Um, what was that like? And then at what point did you decide to transition from being a teacher to working in the industry? Yeah, so, um, you know, when I was at Ohio State, my when I came in, I was like, oh, I'm going to be, you know, it was biology pre-med when I was, you know, minoring in Spanish. And then I got to organic chemistry and realized that I did not want to continue um, with biology pre-med and um, switched my major um, to Spanish and just really always had a love of uh, languages and literatures. And um, so I, you know, did undergrad and I was like, oh, wait, my plans changed. What am I going to do now? So I decided to go to graduate school mm -hmm. um, and, you know, did my master's in Spanish literature and languages. Wow. And yeah. And um, again, loved it. I love, you know, love storytelling. So it was fun and I kind of didn't know what I was going to do next. So I, you know, continued to study some more. And, you know, I think I, I fell into wanting to be a writer. Um, I, I fell into it. I didn't know that wasn't like the plan at first. So you know, when I got done at UC, I was teaching and um, I was teaching, I taught high school and the last grade I taught was um, middle school. And I had an epiphany like that last year of teaching that like I loved television from a, from a very early age. And again, I, 
you know, love storytelling and been doing creative writing and all these things. And then it just clicked for me that um, I wanted to give it a try. And um, I decided like not to renew my contract after it was over that, that year. And luckily my husband was very supportive and was like, okay, let's figure out how to do this. <laughs> and so what was that process like? What, what, in terms of a practical sense, like uprooting from a job that you have, I'm assuming he had a job too in, in, in wherever you guys were in Ohio, and literally switching cities. Um, he probably stayed in the same industry, although I don't know. Did he stay in the same industry and look for a job out here? What did you do? For, did you get a job out here teaching Spanish? Or did you just come out here and try to look for a job in the industry? How did that work for you? Yeah, so we were in Cincinnati at the time. My husband is from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. That's where we met. And um, so the first thing was like, okay, we're going to save. So that was originally our first plan was like, oh, we're going to save for a couple years. And then I don't know. We just both decided, and my husband is kind of very spontaneous and said, you know what, I, we could, we could be saving for years before mm. we decide to do this. And right. I kind of felt like if I was going to do it, this was the time to do it. Um, so he applied to graduate school actually in Monterey, California, and that's what got us um, to California. So he did a year program there, and while he was there, I was um, working for the aquarium actually. Oh wow! I did, yeah, I did some admin work for them for their accounting office and there wasn't any like really any tv things going on in monterey so i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't get any experience there but then he got um an internship in portland oregon and that it was only supposed to be for the summer we got to portland and you know la was still the goal so i said you know i need to get some experience so i literally went on craigslist and started looking at the gigs hmm. to see if i could get experience that way and I did a couple student short films, you know, where I was like carrying their equipment for them. And it was like, we can't pay you, but you know, we can give you like crafty right. and like give you a, give you a credit. Right. Um, I did a web series, the same thing. Um, and then I got my first like gig, it was on Grimm and they had posted on Craigslist. Really? And Yes, I wish I had taken a picture of it at the time, but I didn't. Um, but they had posted they needed additional set PAs, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with with the show, but um, they did a lot of it was a lot of location shooting, mm -hmm. so they needed extra set PAs. And I thought it was a scam, and <laughs> my husband's like, "The worst thing that you could do is, you know, send your resume. They don't respond to you." Right. Um, and I did, and I got an interview, and they hired me. Wow. <laughs> So yeah. So you really had a sort of a roundabout way to get to LA from from Cincinnati to Mon no, Monterey to Portland mm -hmm. to LA. Yeah. But yet you had your sort of eyes on the prize the whole time, but mm -hmm. you just sort of took a roundabout way. That's kind of interesting. I've never heard that before. Usually people just come to LA or they move to New York thinking yeah. that, you know, to LA is at some point. Um, yeah, and I'm really I'm really happy that I did, you know, Grimm because you know, that actually helped me get an interview for a job in Los Angeles because I had that experience, you know, on my resume. So yeah, very, very unique, but right. it, it worked for me. <laughs> How did those, did, when you, first off, I don't hear of often like legit productions posting on Craigslist. Uh, I remember when I was peeing back in the day, yeah, they would just ask all the PAs, do you have friends that are also PAs or whatever? Uh, or they had a stack generally from all the other shows that they've worked on, your PM or your production coordinator or whatever would have stuff. You, I didn't really see very many broad searches like that. 
did it help to have all of those other student films and and uh, the web series and things on your resume, even though they were unpaid? I think it did. You know, when I was in the interview, I mm-hmm. think, you know, and I had to say, oh, this is a career change for me. I think that it really showed that, like, I was I was dedicated to trying to get experience. I think it did help me when I went into that interview. I also like to tell myself the AD who hired me was from Indiana. Mm. So I was like, oh, mid- Midwest. We had that right. Midwest connection. So, um, and also I think, you know, I seemed, well, what he said to me was like, oh, you seem like you're good with people. And, you know, seem like you were a normal person that you would be able to do this job. So I think all of those things helped me to to get that set PA gig. Yeah, whatever it takes, right? Yeah. Um, but how did you, did you know that the uh, AD who hired you was from Indiana prior? Like, did someone give you the heads up? Or are you just during the conversation that came mm-hmm. up? During the conversation, we were, you know, talking about where I was from. Mm-hmm. And it, we just came, came up in conversation that he was also from the Midwest. So that right. was nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. Um, so that's okay. So you have one of those rare situations where you were able to get a professional job on a legit project, a studio pro- or network project without knowing someone. Cause a lot of times you have to know someone to even hear about those jobs. So that was great. So apparently some productions <laughs> list on Craigslist, which was unknown to me, but that's kind of good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was writing always the goal when you came out or did you, was it just to work in the industry somehow? And then you, I mean, you mentioned you loved being a storyteller, but was, you know, there's different, you know, obviously visual storytelling and, you know, there's different, many different positions that have an aspect of it. editing as some format of storytelling, directing as a, you know, acting, all these types of things. Did you always know that writing is what you wanted to do? You know, I, I don't know if I knew early on before I made the move, but I definitely, when I decided to stop teaching, mm. I definitely knew that I wanted to write for television. Gotcha. So um, that was always the goal. And, you know, I was trying to like do my research. I was following like the anonymous assistant blog. Mm. Like when I decided I was like, oh, you know, how am I going to do this? And was reading that blog and knew that if I could get one of these, you know, PA positions that that would get my foot in the door. Um but yeah, that's it was always the goal of writing for television. And what, how many sort of samples, specs had you written before you came out? Uh, was that something that you had taken the time to do? Or is it something you came out and you figure, I'm going to figure out when I get there and then started writing once you're actually working, you know, as a PA or as an, you know, a writer's PA? Is that when you started writing? I actually didn't start writing until I, I got to LA. Actually. Okay. So even, even when I was on Grimm, I knew that I wanted to do that. And I had been writing like short stories and sure. things like that. But as a set PA, I literally <laughs> I did not really have um, the time or energy. I was doing like 70 hours a week. Um, Grimm was, like I said, we did a lot of night shooting. Um, so I like mentally couldn't do it while I was on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew once I started when I got to LA, I started taking like classes and things and, you know, started with the spec first. So yeah, I didn't start actually writing scripts until I was in LA. Gotcha. Um, we do have one question here first. Uh, Carrie Thompson asks, while, while assistant roles are the most direct way to getting staffed, can you speak to the fear of getting stuck in a low wage assistant role and repeating the role of a writer's assistant, writer's PA or script coordinator without promotion? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a great question. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I, um, cause I've done a, a, quite a few different assistant roles. So I started off in production and then made my way over to, um, the writer support staff, uh, 
you know, jobs. But I think for me, I kind of like production, for example, it was not, I don't want to say easy, but it's once I was in production, it was, you know, people wanted to hire me again. So I kind of had to make that choice of like, okay, I could keep being in production and that's not really getting me closer to my goal. So for me, I had to be like, okay, I can't keep taking you know, this job per se, because if I keep taking it, then I am going to keep getting stuck in this loop. And then I just started telling people that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But at first, I think I, I was afraid when I first got those first couple of jobs of like, oh, maybe if I tell people I want to be a writer, they're, they're not going to hire me to be on, you know, a, a set PA or an office PA. But I just started telling people that I wanted to write and I kept working on on my writing. And when there were opportunities you know, people started to think of me for these, um, these positions, but I think it's hard. It's not easy. I mean, you know, to get that promotion, I think sometimes, you know, when you're in these interviews, if you can ask, like, if you're getting interviewed for a writer's assistant position, if you can ask, is there opportunity to, you know, for growth here, can I maybe help write scenes for outlines and, and, and scripts? I, I got to do that. So I think, I think it's it's like quite a few things. I think if you're honest about what you want to do and you kind of let people know, and then if you can fill out that situation when you're in interviews, I think that is a way that you can maybe help not get stuck in it. Mm-hmm. But I think it just all comes down to you personally and how, how many support staff jobs are you willing to do? So I think it's like a personal thing too. Um, I hope that, <laughs> that answers the question. Yeah, I mean, and just from, from what I've heard from different... Uh support staffers, and we've spoken to a number of them, uh, sometimes you take a job and then realize that the showrunner is not that interested in promoting from yeah. within. And then you have to decide whether or not you just t- keep the job to pay the bills or you forge out and try to find a different one with a more supportive showrunner. Um, yeah, you know. it really comes it really comes down to that. And sometimes, you, like you said, you won't know until you're in the job. Yeah. So I think you kind of have to like make the best decision for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did you make that transition from being a, a set PA on Grimm to the a writer's PA, you know, into a, more of a support staff position? Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I did production for about two years. Mm. I um, so started off with Grimm, and one of the, the actual the UPM, um, you know, we came back for season six. I was on season five of Grimm. And I, I said to them, you know, I love being on set. It was great. But if I'm going to write, I need to like be in the office so I can actually start writing. Mm-hmm. And I was their uh, production secretary for about 12 weeks or whatever. And my husband got a job in LA first, actually. So he moved down before I did. And um, the UPM said, well, okay, I'm going to pass your resume around to some friends that I know. And, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully someone will respond, you know, like, hopefully that will help you in some way. And um, I got a call. And uh, at the time, it was for a show called The Catch. So it was a Shondaland uh, show. And they didn't realize that I was in Portland, Oregon, and I didn't tell them. (laughs) So I I flew down for an interview Mm -hmm. uh, to see my husband also and to like look at an apartment and um, had an interview and came back and I got offered the job. So that's how I got down to um los angeles and then yeah it was an office pay on that and then i did a pilot and got promoted to a line producer's assistant and it was actually my boss who um really helped help me transition because after this pilot i did um 
the two showrunners reached out to her and said, hey, we're looking for a writer's PA. Do you know someone? And she knew that I wanted to write. We had had conversations about this. And she said, you know, they reached out to me and they know you. Do you want me to recommend you? And that's how I got my first writer's PA job is because I had worked with these two showrunners before on Mm -hmm. a pilot. And then my boss had given me the recommendation. So that really, you know, helped a lot. Yeah, no. And uh, that, I think, is part of the the really difficult part that I think a lot of uh, emerging writers, pre-WGA writers, uh, don't realize. They think that they can just go on to Craigslist or somewhere else or there's a posting board and get a job as a writer's PA or a writer's assistant. And usually, almost every case that I've heard, almost every case, is usually somebody getting transitioned from a different department, an art department PA, or in your case, uh, production secretary, you know, someone that's in the production office, or, you know, at least ancillarily uh, attached to a production being promoted from within. So uh, a lot of writers who want to go that route may have to take a job and probably should be looking for a job, any job on a TV series somewhere to try to work their way through the different channels, getting to know people and get into the, uh, you know, so you can hear about the writer's PA jobs and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, because you're right. That's how you that's how you hear about, hear about these jobs. And and again, when she recommended me, they were like, oh, yeah, we remember Jackie. And mm-hmm. these two writers were Liz Kraft and Sarah Fain. I was on The Fix. That was my first writer's PA job. And they were on For the People, which was another Shondaland show. And that's where they first knew me. Like, mm-hmm. so it all came from me working. And they, they knew I was a hard worker. Um, and my boss, I was her assistant for over a year. So it, it really came from, you know, this job that like, you know, you're like, oh, it's production, but it actually helped lead me to, you know, getting to the writer side of things. So, yeah. Um, and I did want to uh, sort of touch base on being a writer's PA, being a writer's assistant, obviously, they're s- sort of separated just from the regular production office. Mm-hmm. Um, you sort of explained how you sort of broke into the as a writer's PA coming from a different role within a, uh, the production office. What sort of skill set or job experience knowledge uh, did you have to have before making that transition from, you know, anywhere in the production office to writer's PA and then obviously from writer's PA to writer's assistant? Like what what helped in terms of getting that job and in doing that job and what does a job entail? Yeah, I think for me, the the writer's PA job, I my all of my production experience really helped me because I like knew all the different departments, you know, so I, I knew like what all the departments did. So that that really helped me as a writer's PA, even though that was not really my job as a writer's PA. So I, I like to think of a writer's PA as a like an office manager is how I describe it to people. And I had done that before because I was an admin, you know, for the aquarium. So I was used to like making sure that our office was equipped with like all the supplies that we needed, you know, that means making sure we had enough ink and all these things that help make an office run. Mm -hmm. I had done that before, you know, working as an admin. So being a writer's PA was kind of like the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, in addition to getting lunches and, you know, making sure, you know, our kitchen is well stocked, but like really it came down to making sure that the, the writers had all the things they needed to be able to do their job. And I had done that before. So I think that came from, you know, being an admin and Mm -hmm. then also just knowing how, um, 
you know, production works and like the things that they would need, like, oh, they need updated one. I mean, make sure to have all the one liners that come out or like all the pages that, you know, for scripts that get printed out and all the revisions, things like that. So I think that really helped me. But really and truly, like as a writer's PA, I, I think of it as an office manager. You're mm-hmm. just helping things to run smoothly because they're worried about breaking story. They're worried about like meeting deadlines. So, you know, whatever I could do to kind of like make sure they didn't have to worry about, oh, that pen, the printer is not working. How can right. we fix that? So you're, you're just trying to help, you know, keep the office moving so they can focus on other things. And who do you report to as a writer's PA? I think uh, most of the time it was like the showrunner's assistant Mm -hmm. um, in my case. Uh, So we, you know, connected a lot and talked about things that, you know, we either needed or like, hey, can you make sure you get this on the next run? Or like, we have someone's birthday tomorrow, the birthday's coming up. Can we make sure we get X, Y, and Z for that person? So that was probably like my day-to-day, you know, person who kind of like, I will not say in charge, but I kind of like, you know, reported to in a way. Right. Your contact um, person. Con- yeah. A contact yeah. person. And um, yeah. And, and I think for me making that jump from writer's PA to writer's assistant, and I did this for, for all the jobs I had as an mm-hmm. assistant, I always met with people who did the job that I wanted to do. So I started connecting with, you know, writer's PAs when I wanted to be a writer's PA and kind of like getting a sense of things that, um, you know, tips and tricks from them and like ways that I could do my job to the best of my ability. And then the same thing for a writer's assistant, when I realized that, oh, I kind of want to, that's the thing I want to do next. I started meeting with writer's assistants, kind of like hearing their story, what things they had learned. Um, and I think that was really helpful. And um, to, to Liz and Sarah's credit on the fix, I got to um, sit in and cover for our writer's assistant. Mm. So that really was super, super beneficial because when I had an interview, I could say, I have this experience. I got to, you know, take cover notes. And um, so I literally had that experience and, and that really helped me. Right. Because writer's assistant is not sort of an entry level job. Um, you can't just do on the job training for that job or it'll probably go downhill real fast. (laughs) Um, so what are some of the other things? Well, first off, I guess the, when you said you met with other writers, PAs before you, you took that job or other writers assistants, did you ask around through your circle of contacts or did you meet with the one who was there before you, before they left? Or I don't know, how, how did that work for you? Yeah, I, you know, there are like these Facebook groups for mm. for assistance. And I, um, once I got on the production side, that's, I just started like posting like, hey, I would love to make, you know, meet other people, you know, people that who did the same job, but also like, like I said, people who were doing like writer's PA and um, writer's assistance. And I just started meeting people and genuinely just trying to like, just meet other people and then just asking them about their jobs and stuff too. And I think, that it was it was extremely helpful because in meeting these people those same people would sometimes reach out to me and be like hey i know you were looking to do this like i heard about this job do you want me to like pass your resume along so really meeting other people also um helped me because assistants they know other assistants know the jobs mm-hmm. that are opening and that's how you find out about them so mm-hmm. yeah and writer's assistant is sort of that top tier and i don't mean in terms of of pay or prestige, prestige, but in terms of like the most direct contact with the writers in the writer's room. And so it's sort of the most desired of the support staff positions of writer's assistant, showrunner's assistant, script coordinator. Um, 
Can you talk a little bit about what the job actually entails? What do you do as a writer's assistant on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean, essentially, like, your job, you're you're worried about those notes, right? So, like, that's literally what my focus was when I was a writer's assistant. So I would come in, you know, um, sometimes I would, it depends on a room, but, like, sometimes I would print out the, the previous notes for some of um, our writers because some of them wanted that. So I would, you know, print out the notes from the day before for some of our writers, and then I would just prep myself um, before the room started. And that, that meant, like, I kind of had, like, a template template that I use to like kind of set my notes, you know, for the day. So I would do that. And, um, but, you know, really and truly like, that's your job. You're taking notes, you know, once the room starts and then you're cleaning up at night. So um, that was essentially my job. And then sometimes, you know, if I had to help with other things um, that writers might ask me to, oh, can you help proof this? Or like, there are certain other things that you might get asked to do, but really and truly you're helping just to take notes Mm -hmm. that's your your main job and um it's so great to be a writer's assistant because you get that first hand of watching people break story um and it's just that experience and that knowledge you get from that is like invaluable um and i think you you as yourself as a writer assistant you get to know the story so well because you're taking notes and you're listening so sometimes i could I could kind of see where there might be a possible hole or like, oh, we did this, this thing was, we talked about this in a a different episode, so we can't do it in this episode. So, you know, you get to know the story so well. um, So that was all also interesting. And I I would sometimes have to, you know, find my moment, but like if I knew we were doing something, you know, in a previous episode or doing it later, then I would have to be like, oh, just just a reminder, you know, we talked about doing this in like two episodes from now, so. Um, Kat Burgess, who's one of our fantastic Scripts and Scribes mods, says, Hey, Jackie, how have you been during this pandemic time? And also, thanks for co-writing the pre-WGA ladies. Um, I've been, you know, I think it's been a day-by-day thing. Um, I think doing a lot better now mm. because it seems to be that, you know, we're not there yet, but it seems to be that we're coming on the other side of it. Um, but, you know, I think it was hard just just like for everyone. So I was taking it day by day um, and trying not to put too much pressure on myself and remembering that we were, you know, all of us are trying to survive a pandemic. Um, and yes, I'm so happy I can help with the pre-WG ladies. It's uh, something that's, you know, really important. Uh, I try to give back to other assistants and, you know, people in general, but the assistants I like, since I came up the assist around, mm. that's like really, you know, if I can help other assistants, I really, I try to do that. Um, I saw some tweets from the pre-WGA ladies, uh, maybe for those who are listening or watching who aren't familiar with it, maybe you can tell us a little bit about pre-WGA ladies. Yeah, so it's just, oh, we, we started it, there's uh, four of us, um, sorry, five of us, we started it just kind of as a way of, um, you know, trying to help other assistants and whether that be with like encouraging people, you know, with our writing sprints that we do um, and pre-pandemic you know, we were trying to do panels and things like that. Um, and, uh, you know, just trying to connect other assistants with each, you know, with each other, sharing opportunities that we hear about, whether it be like jobs or panels or um, just things that would be useful to um, the pre-WGA community. Mm-hmm. So just really trying to like, you know, be there as a resource and also to help support those who are, you know, coming up. And I saw... Again, I saw on Twitter, you have a Twitter account. Do you guys have other places where you discuss? Is there Facebook and all that kind of stuff? 
Or is Twitter the um, primary outlet? Yeah, we usually, the pre-WGLians, we usually primarily use Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we've done a couple like panels that we did during the pandemic on Zoom. Um, but yeah, we're primarily on there. We tweet a lot. I, um, I, I did like a writing sprint this morning before I <laughs> jumped on. Um, you know, I, just, yeah, getting my writing done this yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were talking about that earlier. What are your plans for the Memorial Day? You're like, yeah, hey, I'm going to be writing. <laughs> yeah. Working, yeah. Um, we got a question from another of our mods. David Wales asks, how do you find the physical and creative will to work on your own things while working in such a demanding job? I'm assuming he was talking about as a writer's assistant before you. Oh, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it it, it was hard being a writer's assistant because um, you're on the screen, you know, typing all day and then it can be hard to like, oh, so I really tried to like. And they're long be- days, potentially. There, yes, and there are long days. And yeah. then you have to clean up the notes, too. So um, I really tried to – I'm a morning person, so I like to write in the morning usually. Um, so I would, like, set aside time to write, even if that meant, like, half an hour, 45 minutes to trying to get my writing in before I went to work. Mm. And then sometimes if, you know, I the notes didn't take me that long to clean up, then I would try to fit in, like, maybe a smaller session that evening. But most of the time I ended up – writing on the weekends <laughs> right right yeah. that makes sense um <laughs> let's see um kapil gatwai says as after the pandemic how important would you say being in la is for an aspiring writer director i'm planning to go to new york after graduations but graduation but still in dilemma about la as well oh that's a it's a good question. Right now, um, you know, people can zoom in from everywhere. We in my room now. We have someone. One of our writers is in New York. Um, just you know, went to New York for a week and could zoom from there. Sure. I'm hoping that there could be kind of you know those opportunities will continue. It, it's really hard to say um, what it's going to look like once you know we're fully out of this. Um, but I'm hoping now that there will be more opportunities for people to potentially live somewhere else mm-hmm. and be zooming in. Um, hopefully there's a hybrid of sorts or something. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Cause I, I, it's, I think it's divided. I know some people are okay with like, Oh, I could do this forever. And some people really want to get back in person in a room. So I think there might be some opportunity, I think to be other places um, because I think studios can see that we can, you know, still make television and, right not all have to be uh, in the same room. So hopefully that means more opportunities going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think from the lit reps we've spoken to and showrunners we've spoken to, um, it seems to be the consensus that even all the way down to support staffers, nobody really likes the Zoom rooms on a... a they, nobody likes the tr- traffic. Everyone appreciates not having to fight traffic, but nobody really likes the Zoom rooms on more than a random occasion. Like you said, hybrid. Um, a hybrid. Yeah. So, I mean, my guess would be it would go back to the way it was, meaning if you want to work in TV, you might still have to be in LA because you'll have to take a lot of meetings. You'll have to come mm-hmm. to the room sometimes, but in features, you probably could get away with living almost anywhere at this oh, point. Totally. Yeah. I think features, you could t- definitely get away with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when it comes down to it, I, I think we will be going back. Um, but you know, the occasional zoom would be. <laughs> yeah, no, nice. absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, Lori Crawford asks, hi, Jackie. Uh, thanks for sharing with us today. What are some good questions to ask while interviewing for a support staff position? Oh, that's great. Um, I think, 
well, one we mentioned earlier, if you can kind of get a gauge of like, is, is there an opportunity for growth here? Like if you're coming in as a writer's PA, you know, is there an opportunity like, you know, if there's another season, could you possibly become the, the writer's assistant? So I think trying to get a gauge to see um, that is a good question to ask and um, just get a sense of like, you know, when I was interviewing for a writer's assistant, for example, I asked my showrunner, how do you like the notes? Because every every showrunner is different. Some people like you to do pure dictation and some people just want the things that you've landed on. So I think it depends on what position that you're you're interviewing on, but just getting a sense of like what their expectations are mm -hmm. for you, um, I think is a really good thing to ask just so that you're, you're like on the same page, you're setting yourself up for success. But um, yeah, I would ask that too. And then, you know, um, for example, when I was a line producer's assistant, uh, I asked if I would be able to go to set and like, you know, and I got to do that too. So um, yeah, I just, just making sure you know what their expectations are. And if there is, if there is an opportunity for growth. You're right. Really Absolutely. Um, do you think that, especially if someone's just starting off, asking questions of, do you think there's room for promotion, gives off that vibe of, I'm too good for this job? Because a lot of showrunners I've said, I've talked to, think that they want an assistant who's, not necessarily that's their sole goal in life, but somebody right. who will take the job seriously and not think that they're above it and just biding their time thinking that it's just a springboard to being a writer. How do you yeah. answer that question with, or ask that question without appearing that way? I think you do. There is a way that you have to approach it. I don't think you can come right out and be like, oh, I want to be the writer's assistant next season. I think you kind of have to like suss out a little bit of like, not saying that you can't be honest, but I, I do think that you're right. If you come in and, and you're like already seeing yourself like two jobs ahead that mm -hmm. does kind of like not sit well usually with people. But I think it's more of like, you know, like, for example, for the writer's PA, if you could say something like, oh, you know, after I've done X, Y, and Z, would it be okay if I came in to sit in the room? Like, that's something that, like, if they're open to that, then they might be open to, like, other things. So that's what I do with my bosses, you know, and that helped because they were like, oh, yeah, of course, whenever you've done what, you know, getting lunches or whatever, you're more than welcome to come sit in the room. And I think if they're willing to let you do that, then that's a good first step. And then you can kind of, like, go forward. And I would also say before you ask for things make sure you're doing your job the job that you're supposed to be doing so i had that i asked for that after i had been doing that for like several weeks and i was like proving myself as being like a good writer's pa so i think the timing is also um important mm. when you ask so maybe not right away but like making sure you you ask you can ask the question but just making sure that you are also doing the job that they had hired they hired you to do too right so without getting into specifics because i don't know if you've worked for terrible showrunners or not we won't get into that but during interviews with um a showrunner or whatever regarding an assistant position or you know a producer or a production coordinator whoever you're interviewing with what are some red flags that you've seen of like this may be a bad job maybe i don't want this job Ooh. were there anything you know, in particular that you've heard of even i think that any red flags i usually have gotten from other assistants um, and maybe they don't say, you know, exactly, but like, oh, tough skin is usually like a red flag right. for me. Like, oh, you know, in the past, when I, I've seen that in the the job description. It's like, ooh, okay, like, you know, that that that's a huge red flag. Or if 
Um, you know, I've heard from other assistants of like, oh, I barely have like free time. Like these are all kind of things that like are red flags for me. So it's like, if you're doing X, Y, and Z, like the whole entire weekend, then that to me is a, a red flag. So mm-hmm. I kind of look for those things. And if I've had a chance to talk to the the outgoing assistant or people who have worked with that person, that's usually how I get my information bef- like pre-interview. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been really lucky. I haven't had any like horrible bosses, but the tough skin I think is too. And like being constantly on call, I think is that can get kind of, yeah. Yeah. That's a little sketchy. It can be sketchy. So yeah. I would, I would maybe, you know, be very careful if those two things come up. Right. No, those are absolutely two of the big ones. Absolutely. Um, Kapil also asked, he says, I spoke to an alumni and got told that applying online for any positions like writer's PA doesn't really work and you need to know certain people for the job. What would be some good places to network for positions like those? I've tried looking on Facebook and other places like LinkedIn, but haven't had much success. Um, so I don't want to out this <laughs> Facebook group on, but there is there is a, a big group um, for assistants um, and lots of members, um, but there is one for assistants. Um, and most of the assistants in the industry are in that Facebook mm. group. Um, but that's literally how I've heard of a, like a lot, a lot, a lot of, um, you know, um, positions. And I think, you know, if you can meet other assistants, like I've said before, like, which again, you know, sometimes I've met them going to panels, mm-hmm. you know, that's how I've met I go to any panel pre-pandemic that I could and I would meet other assistants that way. Um, Sometimes like things like this, like you meet other people who are assistants, any way that you can, I think any industry event, you usually will find someone, right? Who's usually an assistant there. And if you can connect um, because they, like I said, they usually know about the jobs by the time it's posted somewhere. If you see it posted, the job is already gone. Like, and even posted in industry sources like the uta job list half those three quarters of those jobs are already filled by the time it's you know sent out Mm -hmm. you know so um now this uh facebook group i don't i'm not aware of it um this facebook group is that something that that uh people who aren't in the industry can get in or do you have to be an assistant in the industry to get into this facebook group that's the, that's 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 how the Facebook group has a, I think lasted this long mm. is that yes you have to be an assistant right. so, and I didn't hear about it until I was an office PA on the catch and someone someone told me like oh you should join join this Facebook group um, because there's a bunch of other assistants in there and they usually you know only let other people who are in the industry in this Facebook group because mm-hmm. they're talking about you know all kinds of like you know, job opportunities, things like that. And, and then just to make it a, a safe space for all of the assistants who work in the industry, I think that's why it's, you know, they try to bet as much as they can, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, getting an assistant job, before we move on to writing and staffing and all that kind of stuff, um, is difficult, sort of a catch-22, like you're dis- discussing. All the jobs are posted on this assistant board on Facebook, mm-hmm but you have to be an assistant to get on this board to get an assistant job. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for those? I mean, obviously you got, you found your own way in, you know, you, did. you weren't on this board and found a job, your first job on this board, but what sort of advice having seen the industry from inside and also, you know, found your own way in, what advice would you have for those, uh, 
writers out there who want to get their first assistant job but just don't know how to find out before they're all filled? You know, I think, you know, Twitter is also a good resource, I think. I think I've had quite a few people, like, reach out to me to do, like, you know, Zoom copies. And if I'm free, I, you know, I obviously will try to do that. But, like, I don't think it's bad to put yourself out there on Twitter and say, hey, like, this is what I'm looking for because I'm sure a lot of people I've seen, people do post jobs on Twitter. I've seen a lot of showrunners post, hey, I'm looking. Actually, there was one this morning. She was looking for a script coordinator and Mm. said, DM me, like, you know, your experience, you know. I saw that one, yeah. Yeah, there are quite a few people use Twitter. Um, So I think, and, you know, the pre-WGA ladies, we do, like, support staff boost too. So, and that's open for anybody, experience or no experience. And we retweet everybody. So I think using Twitter is another great resource because there are so many people um, on Twitter, especially in the writing community. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, hopefully once we go back to in-person <laughs> uh, things, that's another way, like going to these panels. Um, if you're taking any like writing classes, like I take classes at Script Anatomy, that's another way for you to meet people um, who are connected to the industry. Um, so yeah, I think sometimes you just kind of have to like maybe think outside of the box when you're trying to get that first that first one. So um, any opportunity that you can connect um, with people, um, I would use, use that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Kristen Clifford says, I'm interested in learning more about set protocol and everything you gain from being an on-set PA, but can't afford to do it full-time. Are there ever weekend gigs that would offer experience? Hmm. Hi, Kristen. I know Kristen. Hello. Um, that's a great question. Um, most of the time, at least from my experience, most shows that I know of only do like, you know, the Monday through Friday, like you know, sometimes you do a Friday, meaning you work into Saturday morning. Um, but that I'm sure that's not always the case. Uh, I'm sure there could be productions where they're doing like, you know, commercials. I did a couple commercials when I was in um, Portland and those shot over the weekend. So I think um, there's definitely opportunities um, for that. Um, people are always looking for set PA. So mm-hmm. I will, I will say that as someone who was in a set PA, they're always looking for set PA. So um, there are a couple other, you know, Facebook groups that are open just to like, I think there's one called like film and TV LA or something like that. And they post, you know, people who are doing like short films and things like that. And, um, so yeah, I think, I think there are opportunities to, you know, do that. And as far as what I learned on set, I've learned so, so much being on set. And I think it really has helped me as a writer, mm-hmm. um, to be able to understand like, you know, what a one-liner is, like, right. you know, why scenes sometimes get cut because, like, production can't, you know, physically do it. What company moves mean, like, all all of this, like, lingo I learned from being on set and working in production. And now as a writer, you know, I, I know what all of those things mean. So I think I'm really uh, grateful that I had the opportunity to start on the production side. Um, right. Just because I understand how, how, how things work, so. Right. And if you're working on the weekends and doing it for free on independent films or student films, which, again, like you said, they're always looking, uh, you will probably get about 80% of it, meaning the lingo of, of company mm-hmm. moves and, and, and production aspects of it. You might not get some of the, uh, the bigger nuance, like the difference between a transport captain and a transport coordinator or you know specifics yeah. like that. 
but yeah. because it's a small shoot, but you will get a lot of of it. And like you had mentioned, you know, getting a job, another job, it will help in that either having the knowledge that you had learned from this job, but also it helped you get other bigger jobs, professional jobs, like on Grimm, because you had done smaller things instead of coming in fresh. Like I've never done anything. Can you hire me? Right. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's harder for people to like, in, in our industry to want to like, give you like the green like if you've never done anything it's it's sometimes harder for people to like wanting to give you that chance but like if you've done these like smaller things I think then they're like oh okay well this person's not afraid to like really like you know dig in and do these things so I think you know while it's great to want to be on these big productions it's okay with starting small and like starting on like you know student short films and and your friend is making a short and you've like decided to help out like that's that's all great experience and you never know know when that person the short ends up at Sundance and all of a sudden you know it it helps your career kind of thing absolutely um and it it does like you had mentioned sometimes having had any experience at all helps because then when they say your call time is whatever it is you don't go oh what when am I supposed to call you no, no, yeah. no, no, no. You know, back at least you have the basic understanding of, of certain things. So that's true. That's good. Um, let's see here. Uh, Carrie asked, most assistant jobs dis- uh, denote required experience in the job position, especially writer's assistant script coordinator. Should you apply to a job that requires experience if you don't have it professionally? Um, I wanted to add to this question. And if you don't have the experience, is there any sort of ancillary experience that you can substitute like you had done with you had been working admin you know taking notes which helped translate to writer's pa you know you know that kind of thing is there anything that would translate or you know that you could substitute maybe to some degree yeah i i had this just recently someone i um met with she um worked in development but wanted to transfer to being a writer's pa but had taken notes and i'm like you know all of these things or writer's assistant i said that's you should definitely highlight that on your resume. Like literally say, I take notes for meetings. And I mean, just took notes for all of their meetings. So mm-hmm. anytime that you can, you know, relate another job experience that is, is at least similar, I think is always a, a great, um, great idea. And I, I say there's no harm in applying, even if you've never job done the job before, because you, you never know. Like mm-hmm. when I, my first writer's assistant gig, I, um, it was a, first time showrunner and she hired a first time writer's assistant, which was me and like first time script coordinator because Mm -hmm. so it does happen. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with applying. You should always apply because you, you never know. Um, but yeah, if you can, even if you haven't done the job before and you know someone who has done the job, you can say to someone, I have someone who can train me. Like I've had friends who've done that before Mm -hmm. and friends who've offered to train people like, you know, if you get up for this job, I will help train you to be a script coordinator or help train you to be a writer's assistant. So I always say apply. Um, and then also, again, there have been a couple things on Twitter um, where they've done a couple like writer's assistant trainings. Um, uh, and who was it just recently? I can't remember who, who was doing it on Twitter, but I've seen I've seen that on Twitter. People have been offering to 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 train, you know, writers, assistants and, and script coordinators. And I think there's a program actually, and I think Liz Alper might be involved in it. Okay, um, I, love Liz. I don't want to misquote, but there was something that came out in a deadline article not too long ago. Um, I think about support staff, um, I'd have to find it, but um, so yeah, I think all that to say apply. And then if you can find 
anything that is related to like example writer's assistant if you've been taking notes for something mm -hmm. or a writer's pa like if you've done administrative duties duties for something that those all translate right uh so now i wanted to jump into uh sort of the staffing process making that transition from writer's assistant to writing to staff writer uh, but also staffing in general. So maybe you can t tell us a little bit about how you made that jump from writer's assistant to a staff writer, because a lot of times trying to get a freelance episode is part of that whole process. Sometimes it's, it's you you are promised if we comes back next season, you'll get a staff writer job. And sometimes it's like you at least get the op the ability to uh, submit for a freelance episode. How did it work for you? I will say how I got staffed is very unique. So this is not everyone's story. As your whole background has been. <laughs> right. So right. like, you know, it's unique and, and everyone's story is, you know, different. But for me, I um, I was on Ginny in Georgia and I was, um, that was my first writer's assistant gig. And I was working on a script at the time. Um, and I was, you know, I finished the script I was really excited about. And I posted it on, I believe it's staffme.com. TV, hmm. not the one where you, for production. There's, there's another right. there's one. There's a staff me up. That's production, I think. Right, yeah. and this yeah. was a staff me TV, and it was um, for support staff, mm -hmm. writers from support staff, mm -hmm. could upload their um, writing samples in the hopes that showrunners would read. So I, I put my script up, you know, while I was on Ginny and George's is like spring of 2019. Show ended. I went on to do like two more writers or uh, assistant gigs. And randomly in January of 2020, someone emailed me hmm. and said, hey, I am, you know, so-and-so's assistant and we're staffing for Turner and Hooch and um, read your sample. I loved it. We're so far down, you know, the staffing, you know, road here, but will you meet, would you want to meet for coffee? And I'm always one of these people who I say yes to meeting other people just because you just never know. Sure. And I said, sure. So I met them for coffee that same week and lovely. His name is Justice Hardy. I love you, Justice. He's great. Um, and he was uh, my boss's assistant. And we talked and he kept saying, oh, I'm going to have my boss read your sample. And I'm like, sure. Like, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, like a day went past and he reached out to me and said, uh, hey, my boss read your sample and wants to meet with you. Can you meet him tomorrow? I was like, what? So, you know, I do this meeting. I had never been in a staffing meeting before. Um, Justice was really nice to like, I would probably do this. So I read the pilot. I was trying to think of like a couple of like things that could be pitches if, the, if it came to that. I watched a previous show that this showrunner had made just to kind of get a sense of like their style and the things that they, you know, write. Mm -hmm. um, and like what I loved about the the script and the characters, and um, it, it was a really great conversation. I still didn't know if this was like really a staffing meeting. I had, right. I had no, I was like, I don't know what this really is. And you know, the meeting went really well. And you know, he just said, "Well, I hope this works out." And I was like, "Okay." Still did not know of like, is he really considering me? And then um, the twentieth uh, reached out to me, and then I realized that oh, this is like. You know, <laughs> Um, and I have reached out to the writers on uh, Jenny and Georgia. I'm really good friends with them still and uh, didn't have any reps at the time. Um, had to get a lawyer to help, you know, with that deal. And that's that's how I, I got staff. So I wasn't actively like didn't have reps, 
So I wasn't actively, you know, taking meetings for staffing. It, it happened because someone read something that I, you know, wrote and Justice really championed me to his boss and that's mm-hmm. how I got a meeting. So, I mean, it's a crazy story. Um, I've had other friends where their story is more of like, you know, I had a manager, mm-hmm. they submitted me and that's how I got staffed. Right. So. <laughs> how long ago before you had gotten this call from Justice, how long previously had you posted that script like was it six months was it a year yeah it was it was i posted it in 20 april of 2019 and i got that email in january of 2020 so like almost eight eight months yeah and i had like i said i had moved on to some other you know i'd done two other writing assistant gigs since that and i had worked on another script after that so there had been some time um how many writing samples did you have at that point I had I had two. I had just just finished the second one when um, I got staffed. Wow! Um, and then I had finished like a I was on like a second draft of the, the second sample, and um, so that was your I, first, your one and only truly completed, ready to go sample that you had posted eight months earlier and forgot about. It was my second one. The first one was a half hour that I was like, uh, like so. It was the first one that I was like proud of. It was oh my yeah, second. right. The first one, I was like, oh, I really like this. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, and then going from Turner and Hooch, which seems to be a little bit different in tone and genre to 4400, how did that transition happen? <laughs> you know, yeah, Turner and Hooch, which uh, is, you know, very light. And it's like, I would say it's like a one-hour comedy, mm-hmm. basically. Um, yeah, you know, I the show got announced for 4400 and my my rep submitted me and um read this script and I, it all comes back to character for me so if i can i, I watch comedy i watch drama i i love anything that can like want anything that like draws me into the character and i want to see this person's journey like you know i can be invested in anything if i'm invested in the character and um this show i think is going to be think it's going to be good i i really i love these characters and um yeah i I, i'm into sci-fi like you know if it's not like too high level then i'm like i'm in for it so um yeah i really love the script and i love the characters so i was really excited about it so are your samples of very different genres and styles your for your the sample you had that got you turning hooch is it more appropriate for Turner and Hooch or is it more appropriate for 4400? Because usually you get staffed on a show that your writing sample is similar to, not completely out there. Or did you have multiple samples of different styles? I had multiple. So I, the, the sample that I got me staffed on Turner and Hooch was a one-hour light procedural. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was like, I mean, it was perfect for, for mm-hmm. Turner and Hooch. Um, the sample that got me staffed on 4400 was more character-like drama. Um it didn't have sci-fi in it, but I could see from like reading the pilot and then reading my sample where there were similarities. Like I write about complicated families um, and that there are some aspects of that in 4400. And um, yeah, I, there, there's definitely similarities um, that that sample was closer to 4400 for sure. And, you know, there's like love stuff, you know, love interests, you know, CW loves a love interest. So um, I had that in that sample. It was That sample was different from the sample that I submitted for Turner and Hooch. Because most lit reps that I've spoken to discourage having a wide array of different 
types mm-hmm. of samples, meaning different genres, different styles, different uh, whatever, to try to focus on what your brand is. I know it sounds like your brand is character, but also, I mean, not having a bunch of comedies and dramas and thrillers and, right. you know, when you were writing your second piece, which is very different from your first, is that something that you had consulted with your reps or you just did before you had reps or how did that work? wrote it before I had reps. Okay. So um, for me, it, and it sounds like my things are different, but they're, they're actually like, makes sense in the world of what I what I write, because mm. I do write, I don't, I call myself a one hour dramedy writer. Okay. Um, so I always have drama. And there's always like moments of levity. There might not be like joke, joke, but there's like, there's funny stuff in there sometimes. Mm. Like, And I'm very about like characters. Usually I my protagonists are women. Um, so yeah, I think even though those, they sound separate, they're actually like make sense for <laughs> the mm-hmm. kind of writer I am. So, um, and then when my, the reps I am with now, when they read it, I mean, it's a little, like I said, it's different. It's more like a family, family drama is the sample that I had for, mm-hmm. for 4,400, but, um, it, it made sense. I think, you know, for them when they read it, they're like, Oh, this makes sense that you would write that based right. on like, your other sample. So um, that's very much my lane. So I kind of stick, you know, in that one hour dramedy um, lane and, you know, kind of circle all of my things that I write are like in that circle. So. <laughs> gotcha. So it wasn't as different as, as it sounds. Okay. I gotcha. no, no, no. <laughs> um, okay. So um, staffing on the 4,400 uh, mm-hmm. sounded like it was a more traditional you know, set up as before. Yeah, um, it was. I, um, you know, and COVID, like, that's also been interesting, gotcha. you know, with staffing, like, because I, I finished Turner and Hooch back in August. And, you know, between August and when I got, when I got on 4400 in April, I was doing like general meetings and like we were, you know, being submitted to a bunch of stuff. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was a more, you know, traditional staffing. Mm-hmm. And what was it? like for you going through the uh, process? Because normally a lot of writers will either submit cold queries to lit reps to try to get sta- uh, to try to get uh, representation or they'll win some sort of competition or something and get approached that way. Um, I've heard of writers that have gotten staffed that have a hard time getting representation. But in your case, what was that process like and how did you go about choosing uh, the lit reps you actually ended up signing with. What was it about them that made you go, okay, these are the ones that I want? Yeah. I, oh man, just doing the rep process overall can be like, can be a can be a process. But I, um, I knew that before I ended Turner and Hooch that I wanted to have reps. You know, going in to try to get that second job. Um, and I had I asked friends. You know, like. Hey, do you feel comfortable? I'm looking for reps. Do you know anyone who's looking for, you know, to take on a new client? Um, so I kind of asked and it was tricky because again, it was, you know, during the pandemic and I know everyone was swamped. So it was very tricky of like who was actually taking on new clients. Mm. Um, so that was, you know, a little tricky, but I, I honestly asked for reps from friends who, mm. you know, either love their managers or thought that their managers might be, you know, available. Um, and that's how I actually ended up with um, authentic, um, authentic, but um, that's how I got, you know, they, one of my friends passed on a, like my samples they read, they wanted to meet with me. I think I met with 
met with three, four, four managers before I, you know, decided to go with authentic. Mm -hmm. And my lawyer actually <laughs> referred me to someone too. So I had, you know, people who were willing to try to, to help me um, find reps. And uh, I think one of the big things I think for, you know, why I signed with authentic and then I signed with verb as well, but um, they really got my voice and understood who I was as a writer, the things that I, you know, wanted to write about. Um, and then they knew what shows, like when we were in our meetings talking about, oh, we see you writing for this show. So they really understood who I was. And I think that's so, so important that, you know, your reps and you, you're like on the same page about what you're, you know, the, the things that you're interested in writing and what your career trajectory, what, like what you're really trying to focus on. Mm -hmm. And um, they were really excited about my work. Um, and, you know, I had, had a couple of friends who were rep by them too. And I kind of did that. Like when I would meet with people and I found out that like, Oh wait, they rep this person. Like, let me ask them like what their experience has been. So I, you know, try to do my own research and actually an old boss of mine um, sent my um, stuff over to Verve. Um, and that is how I Verve reached out to me. So I just had people who were willing to like, you know, pass my samples along. And then it was up to, you know, the meeting and, and how, you know, if I felt like we clicked and if it was going to work. So, right. But it was a process It took me, it took a couple months. <laughs> right. Well, it sounds like, uh, you got a lot of help and not, not that that's, a, that's obviously a great thing. Cause that's what we yeah. all hope for, yeah. um, is to get help. But it also, it comes from two of the things that I think are sort of underrated for that, that a lot of writers, young writers, aspiring writers, uh, emerging writers don't think about, they think it's all about the writing, but being good at, at, being a, good at what you do, meaning like you were a good assistant, it carried over, they saw you were responsible, you were hardworking, you were smart and dedicated, but also be a nice person, because obviously that helps as well, because then people want to help you. Um, it's not just about the writing, there's a lot else that goes into it if you want people to help you. I 100% you know? agree with that. I think those two things help you more than can you can imagine that you know, people want to help other people really and truly like that's what I found in this business. But again, it's like they have to know that you're reliable, that you're a hard worker and that you are a good person. Like, you know, I know that I like to work with good people. So if you see someone else that way, then you're like, oh, well, let me see what I can do to help that person. So mm -hmm. I think it's really important to keep that in mind. And you just in any interaction with people like you just never know what those relationships can, you know, how it can help you in the future or like, you know, where that person might end up. So, you know, just be kind. I, I, I try to say that to everyone. You just never, you just never know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and in terms of staffing, it doesn't sound like you have, you've obviously gotten your last couple jobs um, through different routes, but mm -hmm. like with the 4,400, uh, what what's the sort of showrunner meeting process? Now, granted, it was obviously probably on Zoom as opposed to sitting what? down uh, yeah. in their office or whatever. But what what was the staffing, the you know the showrunner meeting process like? What kind of questions were you asking? What do you, whatever you can talk about. I don't know what's yeah you know. yeah. It was it was a great meeting. You like you know you prep. You're like okay. Mm -hmm. you, you know I read the the pilot like two times, and I'm the kind of person I'm a nerd, so I was like taking like notes of things that I liked and I had my little like index card, like, you know, that's a great thing about being on zoom. I could have my little index card mm -hmm. by my computer, just to, like things I thought like 
you know, what I really connected with, with the characters. Um, but honestly, like, I think while it's good to talk about the show, it's also good to just be a person too. Sure. Um, so, you know, you do the like, oh, how's everything going? We talked about like we, how we were, you know, surviving the pandemic and then talked about, um, you know, the show. They like kind of told me a little bit more of like what their vision was. And then I talked about the characters that I, that really resonated with me, what I loved about the script, what I was like excited for. And then, you know, it, it's really cool when you can be on the same page, you know, kind of with the showrunner of like, oh, they say this. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I was thinking that same thing. Like, I would love to see how that plays out. And then, you know, I, my posters here actually like didn't, they don't mean to be, but they're kind of like a talking piece. <laughs> they always come up in like generals. And it came up in this meeting, as you can see, I love Drew Barrymore. Hmm. And I went on like a 10 to 15 minute rant about how much I love Drew Barrymore. And it was because the one of the showrunners asked me like, okay, so obviously you love Drew Barrymore. Right. And, and then we went on this like rant about that. And I told him about how I, you know, the Drew Barrymore show. And so like, you know, part of it, you're talking about the show, but then also like other things that, you know, you're interested in as a person and kind of your life experience. They're just trying to get a sense of who you are mm -hmm. um, to see not only what you will bring to the room, but what kind of vibe you have. Like, you know, are they going to be able to work with you for 20 weeks? Right. Um, you know, to see, are you a nice person? Are you going to be able to get along with other people? So they're just trying to get a feel for, um, kind of a sense of who you are. So my biggest advice I'd say was be yourself because you don't want to go into an interview and kind of play a role and then have to try to keep that up for however long you're on the job, you know, just be yourself. And I think, I think people, they, they see that and they like that. They're like, Oh, I want to work with that person. Right. Um, so yeah, it's all about, you know, just trying to get a sense of who you are. And also too, before mm -hmm. these meetings, <laughs> also know what shows you watch um and that right. was a trick someone told me back when i was doing generals so i literally keep um you know little index cards of all the shows that i'm watching because even if you remember them it's something about someone asking you that you forget right <laughs> so have that with you uh so you can refer to that because it happens right no absolutely from what you know uh I'll, you're always going to ask, what shows are you watching now? Or what are your favorite shows? Whatever it happens to be. Uh, and we were talking to, I think it was Carol Kirshner um, of the uh, CBS uh, Writing Fellowship. And she had said, that we had said, what is something that you uh, tell every writer that they should know going to a showrunner meeting? And she's like, yeah, definitely know what shows you watch. Don't be the person. And they've had it before where they say, oh, I don't really watch television. Well, don't I only say watch that. movies. I only watch movies, really. Well, then what are you doing here? Yeah, right? don't say that. Wow. Um, so anyway. <laughs> oh, and also, I would yeah. say be able to say, I think she calls it like the 60 second, like the minute pitch about yourself. Mm. But be able to like, because they'll be like, tell us about yourself. Right. So you don't want to do this like 25 minute spiel about yourself. Be able to condense it in about like a minute right. or two. Like who you are where you're from, what you write. Right. You know, and and then even the shows that I I pick about the ones that I write also relate to like who I am as a writer. So gotcha. I love these shows, but they speak to who I am and like the, the kind of stories that I like to tell. So right. um smart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um there's some there's uh I do want to talk about um 
right, the writer's room itself uh, and your experience that. But before that, there's a few comments, just comments in the chat that I want to sort of relate to you. Um, Theo Luoma says, uh, I'm in Canada, so this may be different, but the union there has a workshop for set etiquette. Very cool experience. I'm on the script supervising side. So if anyone is in Canada or in the union at all, and maybe even in the US they do that, they have a workshop for set etiquette. I know like, Panavision used to have uh, a camera workshop. Like for people who just want to work in camera, you can go and play with Panavision cameras uh, via the workshop. You don't have to uh, uh, actually be working in the industry to do it, I don't think. Um, I know a lot of film students did that. Uh, Chiniera Johnson says, Hi, I love the movie Never Been Kissed. So there you go. Another prop for your poster. Um, Moniker4444 says, Hey, Jackie, this is Andrea from Turner and Hooch. I miss you, lady. Such a blast working with you. I'm glad all of these viewers are getting the benefits of your wisdom advice. Andrea, I agree. Uh, Thank you for that comment. Um, uh, So, but see, that's, I think that's the interesting thing, though, is that uh, it shows sort of what a nice person you are. You're getting a bunch of people showing up just to say hello, which is always a nice thing. Um, I do want to, though, talk about staffing, though, and um, your first day in a writer's room because I know a lot of uh, writers who may be sort of coming to that uh, especially those who haven't been an assistant Um, what is it like your first few days in a writer's room and what is sort of that protocol and I know it's different for every show every show is different every room is different but generally speaking do you have advice for those writers who are taking their first steps into a writer's room uh, whether as a staff writer or even as a writer's assistant and, and what was your experience like yeah, I think for me, my experience, um, I, again, like try to do my research. I talked to other staff writers. And like, Smart. Like, what did you do? Like, what are some things I should be like, you know, aware of things I shouldn't do things I should do. And I think those first couple of days, like, it's okay if you're just like, listening, mm-hmm. you know, um, and of course, I'm not saying like, you, you don't pitch or you don't uh, contribute ideas. But don't put pressure on yourself to think that like, oh, I'm coming in. I have to know all of the answers and I have to solve everything. They're not expecting you to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, believe me, they are not. So I think, you know, listening is really good just to kind of see the flow of the room. Cause you're, everyone's learning, like, how is this room going to like operate? Like, you know, are they open for everybody to talk? Like every room is different. So I think it's okay. Those first couple of days, if you're, you know, contributing, of course, but like, it's okay to listen and kind of like get a sense of like, how this room in particular is going to run. Um, and then those first couple of days, you're like, talking about this is what you know, the show are giving you like, this is what we were thinking for like, season, you know, Th- these things can change. And sometimes they, they do. Um, and then you kind of do what, you know, is called like blue skying. So mm-hmm. kind of just like, ideas of like what could happen what are some cool things that you know we could do with this character or cool things we can do this season with the show so you're kind of like pitching broadly um and then you know as you stop talking about the big picture for the season you know you might start talking you start talking about the first episode and again it's like big picture and then you start kind of like you know shrinking it of like the showrunner tells you this is what i want to do like these are the these are the things I would like to happen in this episode. So then your broad pitches go from being big to like really becoming like more focused, mm-hmm. and you start thinking about the storylines and things for that particular episode. But yeah, I mean, 
to say you're not going to be nervous would be like not true. You will be. <laughs> um, and I think I also tried to connect with the other writers on staff, um, meaning like for 4,400, I did those first couple of weeks. Um, I met with the other story editor on the, on um, the show. We did like a zoom. I did some with the number two, the number three. So just trying to get like that personal um, time with the other writers because it's so different again because we're not in person mm -hmm. we're in person you could go to someone's office or you could talk to them during lunch or you know do your little i miss a little after lunch you know walks that you would do like with uh the writing staff but just trying to find those moments to to connect and um you know with the other writers but again i think it's okay if you kind of assess what the room is going to be like um don't feel like you have to like pitch just to pitch that's like one of my Someone told me that <laughs> like a showrunner before I started Turner and Hooch was like, don't pitch just to pitch. So like only, which means like, you don't have to talk just to talk. Like if you think that your pitch is going to add like something to the conversation or spark an idea, then yeah, of course, like, you know, pitch, but don't pitch just to like, be like, oh, I should be saying something because mm -hmm. you don't want to steer like the room in a direction that you're not like. You know, if you're on a certain thing, you don't want to be the person that's like taking you all off into like left field. Right. Well, yeah. there's there's a, a writer producer who uh, I'm friends with who has been on the podcast before named Matt Pitts. He's currently I think he's co-EP on Westworld. And I also know a showrunner who's hired him a number of times, Trey Calloway. And I asked Trey because I know them both and their relationship is really good. And I asked Trey, what what uh, is it about Matt that you really like? And he had mentioned that Matt is the kind of writer who will sit there very quietly during most of the day. He'll just sit there listening to everybody throw out ideas, throw out this and that. If you're stuck on a problem, they'll, they'll, everyone's like trying to figure this out. And he'll just sit there listening. And then when everyone's sort of bashed their head against the wall, he'll just start to talk. And he'll have the complete perfect solution. Because he wasn't throwing out random stuff, he was just yeah. sitting there taking it all in, filtering it, and sort of assembling something, and then give you that solution. So he's a problem solver, but he's not someone who pitches a bunch of ideas. And then every writer's room has different people for different things, but he was that guy. He was the problem solver guy. So to your point, it's not just about getting heard or throwing ideas out. It's really solving the problem, if you have that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And I think now as a story editor, like that's like the the switch to I'm not saying that I did this as a staff writer, but like sometimes I'm I'm listening more. Not that I wasn't listening before, but now I'm like, you know, even yeah. more like because I think now like you take that extra like minute or two to really think about your pitch and be like, huh, is this is this the moment for me to pitch this or do I need to wait? You know, so you kind of like are thinking about maybe I need a little bit. I need another little thing for this or I need to, to, to stew on this for like another minute or so. But yeah, I think it's, it's really important to be listening because again, if you do that, then you, you have time to be like, Oh, well, wait, no, I see how we can do this. So right. yeah. A benefit in like, not just rapid fire, like pitching. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and so uh, staffing, when do you now uh, find time to write and how has it been during this pandemic-y time? <laughs> yeah, I think, because um, I was on Turner Hooch at like the very big, the start of the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? You know, we, we were in the office for three weeks and then got the stay at home order. Um, and I finished, you know, Turner and Hooch on Zoom. So right. 
um, in that respect, uh, being like working really helped because I had like a schedule. I had like, you know, things to, to be working on the show. And, you know, after that wrapped, I, I had a sample that was actually the first pilot I ever wrote. It was that half hour I mentioned. Mm. I decided to make it a one hour because I'm a one hour writer. Right. And um, I kind of worked on that, you know, so I was very much, you know, there were some days where I didn't write. And then there were some days I did, and I just tried to, again, be kind to myself and had to remind myself of, like, we were living in such a, you know, a strange time for, like, we've never experienced this before. So I would have to remind myself some days I felt like, you know, this isn't sounding right or I don't feel motivated. And then, you know, I give myself the day and then I would try again. So I think just trying to be kind to myself and, and sometimes writing doesn't really mean writing. Sometimes mm -hmm. that means doing research. So like sometimes I was watching a show because I had something that a similar idea or I'm reading a book because, you know, it's kind of in the same vein. So I consider that all of that writing, even if I'm not, you know, cranking out pages a day, I'm right. still actively thinking about this idea. And um, I think that really helped me just to kind of like not put pressure on myself and, uh, yeah, now I'm on, on, on the 4400, which is great. I can't believe we're like, it's already like the summer and, you know, we're shooting the pilot soon because it got straight to straight to series pickup and shoots it. The pilot shoots in a couple of weeks. So that's, it's, it's exciting. But um, I mainly have been writing on the weekend or uh, sometimes I might get like a little burst of energy after the room. Mm. And if I do, it's usually like an hour tops or sometimes I'll write in the morning because again, I'm a morning person. So sometimes I might fit in a little bit of time um, before. And we're talking obviously about writing your own stuff, not the yes, show writing my stuff. Own, yeah. Yeah, yeah, writing my own stuff. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I have to, you know, balance it. And then again, like being on Zoom all day, you get tired. So right. if I don't write one day, I'm like, oh, it's okay. We've been talking about story all day. So like... <laughs> I give myself a break. <laughs> right. Um, and then just a, a few more questions because sure. uh, we're starting to run short on time. I don't want to keep take your, your whole Saturday on your Memorial Day weekend. Um, one being just for fun, what is your take on – because on Turner and Hooch, you had said for the first three weeks you were actually in the writer's room, a physical writer's room, unlike on the 4400. Uh, what's your take? And I've heard multiple ways to look at it decorating your office as a first as a staff writer as a first i've heard people say the showrunner that sees you bring a big box of stuff in thinking oh they think they're going to be here the whole time oh i see they're presumptuous and then other showrunners be like oh they didn't bring anything don't they think they're going to be here very long do they leave looking for something different you know i've heard i heard both of those right. things when i started turning hoops so i did like a, a middle I brought like a few things in and I didn't put up any posters okay. and thank goodness because we were in the office for three weeks and then <laughs> the things I did leave in the office I didn't get until like July uh, <laughs> so um I just brought little I have like little um those Funko Pops I think I brought mm. like one of those in and like you know just brought a couple of things but it wasn't a big box I right. just because again, I was like, oh, I don't want to bring too much stuff in, but I didn't want to not bring anything in. Right. So I think just, you know, you can be in the middle and like, that's you know, safer. Just, yeah, it's safer. Just bring a little bit of stuff in. So right. they think you're invested, but you're not being presumptuous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. I mean, I had, 
until someone told a writer told me this, I had no idea that that was actually a concern. Like that, that showrunners will look at seeing what you're bringing into the office on your first day. I would have never thought about that. And someone said it to me and I was like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. It it totally makes sense, but I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, But no, that's, that's, you found the perfect balance. I think that's kind of cool. Um, we did have another question here. Kapil's asked again, um, in terms of writing a pilot, personally, how far ahead are you thinking in terms of the story? Uh, do you focus a lot on the pilot and then have an outline of how the rest of the story will go? Or did you have a very detailed outline of the whole story? Um, for me, no, I do not have it. I kind of have like a general sense of like, if this is going to be, if this were a show that like someone wanted to buy, right. like, kind of where but for me and maybe my mindset will change here but like they've just been things that I a a story that I thought was cool like that I want to see on tv and it's not there and that's Mm -hmm. usually why I write you know these pilots and um I'm really focused on the pilot just because usually and I'm for me I've been all of my things have been just considered samples I'm like not I haven't been trying to sell them and that's probably like a different you know you're thinking about a little bit differently to sell it so but as a sample I'm thinking of like I want to be able to show my voice you know my perspective um that this has legs like meaning that the story could move past the pilot but I'm not really I don't have like a bible and I haven't like you know season one two three like look like this because I'm thinking of it like this is just a sample of like who I am as a writer um because at your level um you're, I don't know, is it till ESE, you're not allowed, on your contracts, you're not allowed to go out and pitch yeah. until, yeah. what is it, is it executive story editor, so when you yeah. can start? Yeah, so I, I can't develop anything uh, this first year. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, sometimes it's usually year two, year three, right. depending on your contract. So gotcha. yeah, for me, anything I'm writing now is like, it's a sample, right? right. I'm not I'm not writing it to sell. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a different mindset. Not, that's not to say that, like, I'm not interested in doing that at some point, but right now it's just more of like a sample. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm really trying to to nail the pilot of like, oh, this person knows how to tell a story. Like, and that you can see that there is, there is a, it's a setup for if this was a show, like Mm -hmm. there's something more that you could explore down the line. Um, so I don't think you need to, if you're just starting out and, and writing, I don't think you need to be worried about having all of your seasons planned, just making sure you have like a strong, you know, story for that pilot and then leaving it so that there could be, you know, promise for more, I think is a good right. way to go. Yeah. And I think that like, if you're obviously pitching it, um, you know, in your document, you'll, you'll have additional right. episode ideas. And when you're cre- creating your pilot, when you're writing your pilot and coming up with ideas, ideas you didn't use, just write them down. Because they yeah. could be part of different storylines for the future, and just keep, you know, hold on to them for later. But yeah, like you said. Yeah, I do. I I use Notion, which mm-hmm. is like the you know. Uh, I don't know what that is. Oh, it's like a workstation. Because oh. before I was using like Google Drive and yeah. I had Google Documents, and I was like, oh, I need everything to be in one space. Mm. And um, so I have what you're talking about, like all the ideas I have for you know, I have my pilot mm-hmm. things I'm working on. So, like, for example, untitled, like, period drama. And then I put all my research in there and, like, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, any ideas that don't go into the pilot, mm-hmm. I have it for, like, oh, maybe for the future. If right. this is somewhere, you know, farther than that, if I'm pitching it one day, then I can include it. But, 
yeah, keep keep it because you never know you never know when you're gonna like need those ideas. Absolutely. Uh, and what's that program called? It's called Notion. Notion. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Yeah, I think I think there's another one called like is it Evernote? People use. I think oh yeah, I have Evernote. People yeah, yeah. use that, but I use Notion. And another gotcha. writer told me about it, and she was like, "Oh, you should use this." And it's been a game changer because mm-hmm. I can you can use it on your your laptop, desktop, and it's also on your phone. Mm-hmm. So I was putting like like I said, Google Docs, and I had notes. And I'm like, I just need everything to be in like one place. One place. Um, And then lastly, this is the last question, a three-parter. I just wanted to get your advice since you have done all of these things. Um, An advice for those writers out there who are considering making that move to LA for their career. Uh, Maybe a piece of advice for those who are looking for a job as, uh, you know, in, in the support staff world, or even just on you know, their first job in the industry somewhere as an assistant. And then the, uh, for staffing, one piece of advice for staffing for getting that job, first job as a writer. I think for the LA moving part of it, um, again, like, because there's so so many people say, don't move until you Mm -hmm. have like some number of dollars, like saved. Or this many projects written in advance. Right. And and I feel like that's such a hard thing to tell people, right? Like mm-hmm. you could be saving and saving for a long time, or you could be, you know, it could take you years and years to write a pro. Like that's such a big thing to tell people. I say that you have to like trust your gut. For me, I knew that like the longer I waited, the more time I would give myself to doubt the decision uh-huh. to try. So for me, I was like, I need to do this now before I like talk myself out of it. And, um, but yeah, trust your gut, you know, come try to have a plan because I did have a plan of like, I need to get experience and I was willing to do, you know, things for free. And I, mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to have a, have a husband who was working at the same time. And, and I was working too, you know, I did temp jobs and things like that, but um, just, you know, having a plan too of like, okay, I, I'm going to move to LA. I'm going to give myself X number of time to like get you know, a job here. And if I don't get this job, then maybe I do another job until I can get, you know, Mm. this job on a show or whatever the job is. So just kind of give yourself options, I think. Um, And then, um, yeah. And I think LA, you know, yeah, moving to LA is a a big deal. So (laughs) I totally understand any kind of fear with that. And um, to do your research too, if you can, about different places that you want to live. If you have friends that live here, um, you know, try to come out. We came and visited a couple times before we actually moved to LA just to kind of get a sense of like where we would like to live and, mm. and things like that. Um, on the support staff or the job front, I think for me, my biggest thing is be open. Mm. I, I think that really helped me because if I, for me personally, I was I couldn't be like, oh, it's a writer assistant job for the first one or no job. Mm. I knew for me that like I had no experience in the industry. So I, for me, I was okay with starting like not where I wanted to end up, but okay starting somewhere else because being open that like that led me to, you know, all the jobs that I had. Um, so I just, you know, open and meaning being flexible, sure. you know, times things change and this industry, like you'd be surprised what those experiences will lead you to. So um, I think being open and like flexible is what I would say for these support jobs. And um, even sometimes a show you think that you might not be a good fit for you, you never know, like 
you get on this show and you're like, oh, this is the best, right. the best show. You know, so I think um, just being open and flexible is really super important overall in this industry because mm-hmm. um, things change all the time. Um, and then the last part about staffing, you know, I came to a panel, I would go to a lot of panels pre-pandemic, um, just to kind of like hear people's stories and like, you know, their experiences um, and learning from that. But the first panel I went to, they said, always be ready. And this is what I mean for staffing of like, you know, I had that sample and someone read it. And even though I was working as an assistant, I was still writing. So essentially I feel like I had three jobs. It was a job that I was like working. I was meeting people and then I was also writing. Mm -hmm. So like all those three things together, I think are really, really important. And not to say it's easy because it's hard because you're trying to balance all three of these things. But um, the whole point is just be ready. You never know when someone's going to ask you to read your stuff. Um, and you want to be able to like give someone something to read, you right. know, so you always want to be, you know, working on that. And, um, and I, I would also say to my other pieces of advice is join a writer's group. Um, those are super, super important. Um, those are the people who will read multiple drafts of your, mm-hmm. of your scripts as my poor writers groups, they read, I am a person who will like just keep revising until I feel until I feel like it's good for me. Um, and, and I'm, you know, always like taking people's notes and taking what works, but join a writer's group because you don't want to be sending like your sample to an upper level writer for like your first draft to like right. an upper level writer. So you really want to join a writer's group. It's so, it's so helpful. Um, and then you learn about taking notes and all it's, it's very beneficial mm-hmm. and it, it helps you as a writer. Right. Absolutely. No, that's great. Uh, I think a lot of uh, sort of the emerging aspiring writers uh, send out their scripts too soon to yes. reps, to producers, to whoever it happens to be without having it looked at by other writers with a critical eye to be able to say, this doesn't really work as well as you think it does. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, it's so important because you you don't want that to be mm-hmm. like, oh, you sent that person the script because, you know, working writers like and 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 agents and managers, they're reading a lot of things. So it's like, you want to make sure that whatever you're sending is like, it's like a true representation of you. And it's the, it's the best draft that you like, you know what I mean? Like you've, you've had multiple people read it and you've like, there are no holes. Like you, you, yeah, you just want to make sure you're sending like the best possible version of of that draft. And it's, it's usually not the first draft, usually not the third draft. Mm -hmm. Like if I'm being quite honest, it's like, it takes, several drafts to get there so yeah and a different pair of eyes can see things that you didn't see oh always you know my writers group will be like oh well this came off like that and i'm like oh i didn't i didn't even think that like you're right i should change that so yeah yeah and if one person doesn't like it or doesn't like part of it that's just what that's their opinion if three or four people find something that they don't like about it or confuses them it's probably something you should address you know what I mean? Yes, I, I always say that if it's more than one person says that to me, I'm like, oh, okay, then I really need to look at this right. because this is a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so thank you, Jackie, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Everyone seems yeah, to have um, gotten such, some great thank yous and everything in the comments. And um, so well, people can find you on Twitter, correct? It's uh, yes. let's see at Jackie Pen eighteen, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, is there anywhere else that they can follow you? Yeah, I'm also on Instagram. I believe okay. it's 
JL Penn, P-E-N-N 18. And you know, my my Instagram is not private, so you're more than welcome right. to follow me there too. <laughs> yeah. So be sure to follow Jackie. She's uh, you've been terrific. So thank you so much for coming on and oh, answering all, all the questions that we've had. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. I'm, I'm most happy to be here. So, uh, And thank you all for listening and or watching. We really do appreciate you spending part of your Saturday with us. And we hope to see you next Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, same time as this one, for another Q&A with Lit Manager John Zauzerny. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. And we will see you next time. 